Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to a serious and frank discussion of the role of Kai Wynn in Deep Space Nine. I'm kidding. I'm sorry. Uh, if you were listening to the pre-show, you know why I said that. And if you weren't, why aren't you? Our pre-shows are great. You should listen to them. Uh, anyway, hi, I'm Matt. This has been the Blizzard Watch podcast, and it still is. I, I don't know why I switched to the ending bit, but nope, we're doing more <laughs> of it. Uh, with me, of course, are my co-hosts, Liz and Joe. It's late. I think all of us are a little loopy from tiredness, but we're going to get through this. Uh <laughs> Why don't we just start? I'm just going to straight up go with it. One of the first things that, that I wanted to mention, because it's the last thing that, that you mentioned in the email chain, is that faction tags are not going to be a thing in Dragonflight. If your horde, like this lovely Tauren I'm playing right now, uh, and uh, you see an alliance fighting a mob that's going to kill him, you can hit that mob and get credit for killing it. I mean, you can you can also hit the mob now and save him, but you don't get quest credit for it. Yeah, whereas now in in Dragonflight, you will get quest credit. I which, mean, which is something a lot of players have been asking for for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some. Oh, go ahead, Liz. Sorry. <laughs> all I can say is it's about time. How long have we all been playing this game? Are we coming up on eighteen eight, years? Eight thousand years. <laughs> Uh, it's about time. This is just such a straightforward convenience feature that makes life less annoying for all of us. Yeah. And I know that the, there used to be some concerns with like, oh, it'll take some of the PVP elements out of it. It's like, if people aren't a PVP server or want to do world PVP, it's not going to stop them from doing that. Right. And like for the no. rest of us, it's going to mean that I don't have to sit there and wait for a quest mob or a particular mob that I need for whatever I'm doing to respawn on whatever cycle it's supposed to be responding on and hope I get the tag. Now I can just do it and move on, which is just a yeah. huge quality of life. I mean, there are some, some caveats here. Uh, the first is that if you are in war mode, then you still 
do have faction tagging. Which makes Anybody sense. Anybody who's playing war mode has faction tagging. Uh, the second is that the the cap on how many players can tag a mob is still five. Mm-hmm. And now it's five from, you know, it, it's five period, whereas before it would be five alliance or five horde. Now it's just five. So if two horde are fighting a guy and two alliance show up and start helping him, and then another three horde show up, one of those three horde can get a tag. The other two can't. Did we get an actual blog post about this? I only I saw the tweet. It, the one I saw was actually on Wowhead, I think. But at any rate, um, so those are things to keep in mind. But it, I think it is, you know, I generally have the same consensus as, as Liz and Joe. I, I think it has been a long time coming. It also goes along with the the thing that um, Ian Hazakostas mentioned months ago now. Talking about the the Dragonflight uh, Drakthir starting the element and how they choose a faction. Unlike the Pandaren, it's not like a it's not like two belligerent factions and you and they demand your allegiance. It's much more. Well, do you want to hang out with these these blood elves or do you want to hang out with these dwarves? That's basically it. It's just you know, oh well, th- those guys helped me and I like the cut of their jib. But those guys over there, uh, yeah, they're okay too. But I'm gonna go with these guys because you know I, I like the pretty red color, and that's it. Like it's not, it's not as aggressive. You're not going off to to war with the other group. You're just, eh, I'm gonna go with these guys. They look like more fun. Take it easy, and that's it. And that's all that they intend it to be. And I like that. I like that it's not this this big deal, like you know where you're choosing war against the other faction. It's just you know, eh, you know, we're gonna help somebody. It might as well be these guys. So I, I mean, think that it, this, this goes along with that too. It kind of goes back to the idea of factions like the Scenarian Circle and the Argent Crusade. It's like you can pledge yourself to the Argent Crusade and do Argent Crusade things, but that doesn't mean you hate the Scenarian Circle and you want to kill them. These are just different groups of people that believe in different things and they're off doing their own thing. And maybe sometimes they'll come together and do things together. But, you know, it's good. Yeah. I definitely think it is a, a step in the right direction. But whilst we are talking about that, we don't, Liz, you pointed out, you 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 pointed out that we don't know for sure. Uh, it's looking like season four is going to be ending on October 25th. And we that know, means, we yeah, we know, know that. for sure that season four is ending. What we yeah. don't know is carry on. Yeah, we, we don't know for sure that the pre-patch for uh, Dragonflight is going to be in that same week. I mean, it, it seems very likely that it'll be on October 25th, but we do not know for sure. It could be later than that. Going again back to Ian Hazacostas back in April, he made a point that uh, when they did their, pre, their pre-patch their event, it was only going to be two weeks. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, that was April. Things change. It's been months. It's like half a year since April. It's quite possible they decided we're going to go with with four weeks, or maybe they do still mean two weeks. Uh, so maybe for two weeks after October twenty fifth, there's going to be no season and nothing to replace it. I which, don't know. I mean, which wouldn't surprise me considering uh, and how much they're working on in the background and how much they're trying to get done, especially now that we know when Dragonflight's releasing, like taking time off from a season and being able to better fine tune things that they, you know, and putting those resources that they may be putting on for seasonal stuff and making those adjustments and making sure those are working well and making sure that the final polish is put on. It makes sense. This also segues into something else. Uh, 
ironically, I wrote the article and then completely forgot that I'd written it. So <laughs> I saw it put reposted today. I was like, oh, wow, Winds of Wisdom. I didn't even look at who wrote it. And then you said that was actually last week. And I like, looked and like, oh, yeah, like this clever and handsome writer said it was last week. But regardless, <laughs> the Winds of Wisdom buff has been around for about a week now. Again, according to that handsome guy who wrote that article. And uh, it's basically probably going to be live till at least October 25th. Because uh, yeah, it, I believe I believe they specifically said it was live until pre-patch. So selfishly, yeah. I want the pre-patch to be later than the 25th, but that's just me. Yeah, no, I could see why, wanting that. Um, but at any rate, it's still going right now. So if you want to take advantage of it, as we do this podcast, we're recording it on October 12th. So you have 13 days till the 25th. For sure, you have at least 13 days to make use of that buff. Maybe longer if it doesn't actually go live on the 25th. But if it does, you've got 13. That's like a little bit under two weeks. Uh, so if you've got a character you, you were meaning to get leveled and you just hadn't done it yet, um, you've got that amount of time for sure. It's pretty and speedy. More. Yeah. Pretty speedy. So get on it. But I mean, that's... I don't, go ahead. I don't know if I'm going to manage to finish leveling my warlock in that time because I like just rolled it and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to win some wisdom this thing and like zoom and I'm like level 22. And so I don't know well, if that's going to work out. How long have you, how long have you played on your warlock at this point? Uh, not long. That's, I mean, 22 after not long is not bad. You probably could yeah, hit it. I probably could if I really work at it. I just don't know. I There's a chance I'm just going to run out of steam and be like, okay, I'm tired of this warlock thing, whatever. Yeah, I, I tried doing the same thing with the Tauren warrior. Um, I got him up <laughs> to level 30. And then I just said, no, I'm done. And I uh, I used my, my free character boost on him. It has been so long since I've leveled a character from scratch. It's been literally years it may have been mists that I last leveled a character from scratch. I mean, it's all been using my boosts and, uh, you know, up leveling characters that I've rolled far, far, far in the past. Yeah. And yeah. so this is just, this is a weird experience. Like, yeah, I did it. The last time I did it was Legion, mm -hmm. but it was actually the pre Legion event, which was, you remember those invasions with all the XP? Yeah. So oh, yeah, I, yeah. I just, I got that character to max level in like two days. <laughs> like it, it took nothing. I was just like, just kept showing up for the for the fights. You don't even have to like stay alive. You could just you could die. It didn't matter as long as they were killing stuff around you. Just wait till you get up. Wait till they kill everything, then get up. You get the XP. So yeah, the, that that was the last time I did it, and I don't think it's the same as really leveling through questing and doing stuff. Yeah, yeah. what I what I found out is you don't get flying until level thirty. Which, I mean, that's totally reasonable. We never got flying until we leveled a little in the past. But I am so used to flying everywhere, and now I'm on the ground everywhere, and it's terrible. So, yeah, yeah I, need to, I need to at least get eight more levels so I can fly. That's, that's my goal, minimally. Yeah, I believe you can fly. <laughs> I, I do also like that song as well, yes. <laughs> See, this is why I like Lower Decks so much. I am just walking weird reference. But uh, we should also talk, therefore, about... Uh, I won't, there's quite a bit to talk about with Overwatch 2, but neither Joe or I are playing it. And I don't think, Liz, you've had much chance to play it. No, I'm I'm just not big on first-person shooters. It's not my thing. So we can talk about the fact that I guess there's been somewhat of a rough launch. Yeah, the there's been a number of issues with it. I mean... I know of one thing, but I uh, which I'll, I'll let you guys go first. Well, Liz, do you I want mean, to? 
or do you want me to? I think rough launch is putting it a little mildly. It's been buggy. A couple of days ago, we had emergency maintenance at 8 p.m. on like a Monday. It was either Monday or Tuesday. I think it was Monday. And it's like you can, there was a thing where reportedly people were like, if you were in the store and you hit your space bar or something, like if you were typing something, it would buy things. Yeah, the auto chat bug, the auto purchase bug, which they did patch. It was actually something that they uh, did fix. They did patch, but there are no refunds for it. So if you all accidentally yeah. bought a bunch of things in the Overwatch store due to a bug, you still have those things, whether you want them or now, not. Now, there's two things to specify with that. That's actually the one thing that I was aware of. Um, this is purchases with in-game currency um, mm-hmm. and not real-world dollary dues. Okay, that's, um, that's better. But it's still kind of just I wanted to call her that and make sure that information was given. Um, but it was basically it used the legacy credits. And I think mm-hmm. that's where the problem comes in, because it was purchases of around like 300 legacy credits or so. Because um, I think that's what most people were carrying over. Once they're gone, they're gone. And I don't think they have the tools anymore to re-enable it. And instead of saying it, they're just saying no refunds. They were once you buy them, they're meant to be unlocked forever. Um, which is not good, especially when it's their bug that caused it. So, mm. yeah. And this has been for about five days now. So they fixed it on ten seven. Uh, at the time of this recording, it is now uh October twelfth. Yep. So they did fix it, but it's still kind of just a a bad line in the sand to draw. Well, yeah. and there are. I've read about all sorts of purchase bugs. I've been kind of watching the forums just to keep on top of this. Oh, those are a fire. The technical support forums, which are pretty, you know, they're a lower level of fire, but they're still pretty fire. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people missing cosmetics that they had previously unlocked. There are people reporting that um, you buy the battle pass and you spend the money to buy the battle pass and you don't get the battle pass. There is apparently a bug that makes it not work on consoles at all for some people, which last I checked, that was a thread with about 30,000 views. And that was a few days ago. Yep. Um, There is a bug that makes it not work on Intel i3 processors for some people. And one of the fixes that Blizzard suggested was like, go into your BIOS and turn off hyper-threading. and that's that just seems like such an extreme thing to do. It's like to make our game run, you just have to edit your BIOS a little bit. And they even warn you in there that like this is not a Blizzard supported thing, and it just sounds real sketchy. Um, but all of those yeah. are things that Blizzard acknowledges that they've had a lot of reports on. So that's not just oh one person said this. These are like real things that a lot of people are having trouble with. I, I oh, know and there's there's the fact that Bastion and Torbjorn are both not currently working and um, not only i think they fixed uh I think bastion fixed- yeah i don't know about torbjorn but i think they fixed bastion there's also the other one where a lot of people were coming over and you were supposed to if you were a person that purchased overwatch one you're supposed to have all of the characters that existed in overwatch one that you had unlocked uh unlocked in overwatch two and there's a large number of people that I personally know that logged into Overwatch 2 and still don't have them unlocked. It's treating them as if it's a brand new account from the ground up. They don't have their legacy credits. They don't have any of the skins they unlocked. Like, there's some weird stuff still going on with them. So, so yeah, basically what we're saying is 
Overwatch is in rough shape. I, I know one thing that actually happened. Uh, I saw this on Twitter. One of the hosts of um, Outside Xbox tweeted that her Overwatch just updated to Overwatch 2 without her asking it on her console. Like, so mean, a lot of people weren't... Ex- I mean, that makes sense because Overwatch 2 is basically built on Overwatch. Yeah. Overwatch 1 does not exist anymore. Yeah. It is It is all Overwatch 2 and everything and, hurts. And you I have think, no choice. And here, here's my, my thing is I think that's part of the problem is because originally I think they were working on a brand new system, a brand new like game engine for Overwatch 2. And then somewhere along the lines, they stopped. We talked about this like three weeks ago. A while ago. Yeah. Yeah. And like, that was one of the big things that like when they first announced Overwatch 2 that Kaplan was talking about and, and they were very excited about and, you know, and then it just kind of stopped talking. But when you do that, when you try to expand uh, one game engine to do more things, maybe that it wasn't intended to do, you start having problems like this. And if, especially if you're retrofitting things that were created for a different engine into it, uh, you see it all the time with people that like try to bolt things onto Unity uh, or bolt things onto Unreal uh, in older versions of it with newer assets. Like, there's just all sorts of weird tomfoolery that happens. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's part of it. Yeah, I, I mean, mean. The, the messaging has been super weird about what Overwatch Two is. I mm-hmm. believe originally when they were doing this. It's like, okay, if you have Overwatch 1, you can still play Overwatch 1, or you can get Overwatch 2 and you have access to all this new stuff. Like, there was a continuation that was described, Mm -hmm. but now it's just like Overwatch 1 is gone and it's all Overwatch 2, which in a lot of ways makes sense. Like, from a game development standpoint, you only have to maintain one game, one code base. It makes a lot of sense for everyone to be playing Overwatch 2 now, but I don't think that was ever clearly communicated. And yeah. it's definitely different than what Blizzard said in the beginning. Yeah. And I think that's always been my problem with it too. Like I was really excited about Overwatch 2 when it first came out, but like that mixed messaging or lack of messaging. And then when there was messaging, lack of consistent messaging, uh, really kind of like just threw up a whole bunch of red flags. So it's, I don't know. Like I, I'm, I feel sad about this. I'll be perfectly honest because I really enjoyed Overwatch. I enjoyed the world that they built. I enjoyed everything about it. I enjoyed the enthusiasm that, you know, folks playing it were, were feeling like my local gaming group and I dumped hundreds and hundreds of hours, you know, sitting on discord or, you know, and playing it or, you know, hell the one year we did extra life and we did a 24 hour stream and that was the most requested and donated for game that we did. So there's a lot of like fond memories with it. And then to see what's happening with it now, it just kind of, I don't know, it just makes me feel sad. I want I it to be a good. Lot of the, I think a lot of the transition and Tory stuff makes more sense if you assume that Overwatch 2 was going to be a paid game. Mm-hmm. So then you would kind of you would kind of have to do this continuation where maybe some people wanted to keep playing Overwatch 1 and some people would buy Overwatch 2. But then they decided it was going to be free to play. And it's had this kind of weird merging of concepts that weren't ever meant to fit together but now they have to yep um yep so i think that pretty much covered it uh i will mention briefly uh marvel snap is getting its uh targeted card acquisition that everybody wanted basically you can you don't have to just count on fate you can actually get the cards you want to get it isn't it so i think that's a good change for the game i have not gotten to play marvel snap yet uh despite our really fun talk with ben brode uh 
which was a very fun talk. You could go back and get that episode and listen to it. It was it was cool. So I like to that. think in a small way we helped make that change happen because that's one of the things we talked about with Ben Brode. <laughs> yep, it absolutely is. Um, I mean, one of the reasons that you haven't had a chance to play the game is because the game is and everyone will be able to play and will be able to check out um, the new card acquisition method, which, yeah, I mean, that's all I got to say is it's good to be able to like specifically work towards getting the cards you want and not have it be all random. Yeah, I mean, some randomness is fine, but I mean, I still remember the day that a kid walked into the, the bookstore I was working at, upended the entire display of Pokemon cards and began ripping the packages open looking for <laughs> Charizard. And I'm like, dude, you can't do that. That's the, You now own all those packs that you just ripped open. That's like 30 packs. Even then, that wasn't cheap. They, they weren't a buck yep. a piece. They were like, I think they were like five or six bucks a piece. So he was, he was spending money. Um, his mom came in and was just like, oh, wow. Having to explain <laughs> to this woman that her son has, has rung up like a, a $90 charge because he wants a small reptilian fire salamander thingy. That wasn't great. So yeah, I think generally speaking, um, there's a, we, we did a post about, uh, Diablo 2's latter season. We did it last week after the previous podcast, so we didn't really mention it. Uh, season two of Diablo 2's Resurrected's latter season has started last week. It started on the sixth. So as of today, it's been out for six days. Um, and I've read that players have, unsurprisingly, already hit level 99. Oh, yeah. I'm not surprised. Yeah. yeah. You know, players are really good. Plus, they did make that change to uh, allow people to level differently. The uh, terror zones that, that came in yeah. with the patch to, that allowed ladder season to start. So yeah, that's not a tremendous surprise, but yeah, I, it's good. Uh, I think I think at this point you know what Diablo two is. Either you like Diablo two or you don't. Um, the changes they've been making have really not done anything to make it feel like a different game, uh, which I think is great. Uh, I, I think if they'd put in too many changes that felt really different, like they didn't belong in Diablo 2, that would be a mistake. But I think overall, the development on, on Diablo 2 Resurrected has been pretty spot on, uh, where they've they've put in changes, but those changes are things that, generally speaking, improve a player's experience without substantially changing the game. So yeah, I think that's pretty cool. Uh, what else? Liz, you wrote some stuff in here. I want to make sure. No, we mentioned that thing. We mentioned that thing. Uh, the 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 uh, faction tagging we mentioned. Do, 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 do we have Winds of Wisdom patch yeah. date? Yeah, pre-patch. Oh. You know, one one of these days we're going to be organized enough about the podcast where we're going to have like a single email of topics instead of like five back and forths where we are all like remembering, oh, and don't forget this. That will never, ever happen. <laughs> one day. Give, yeah. me, give me this, Matt. Let me have this dream of one day of this perfectly organized I, I, I thing. Mean, it's possible I will be sick for an entire week and you'll have to write the email in the first place. And then, then yeah, maybe, but I, I don't I mean, see how, as long as I'm the sucker writing the email, I don't see how this is going to work because it's me and I'm just, I'm terrible. So, but yeah, uh, we go ahead. It's, it's hard to keep all of this in your head. There's just a lot going on every week. And then I, was, I really feel like this entire decade time has become harder to keep track of. The fact and that you can call it a decade and, and you're right and we're in a new decade and I still don't feel like it's 2020 yet. <laughs> I don't feel like 2020 even happened. Or 2021 and now it's theoretically 2022, but time has completely stopped to have any meaning, which makes it genuinely difficult to remember what's happened in the last seven days since we did the last podcast. 
Not that we've ever been good at that. As, <laughs> jo- as Joe can attest. It, um, it feels it feels like it's gotten worse. Just not that we've gotten worse necessarily. I'm not attempting to criticize your podcast emails, but I think just time has gotten like gooey and confusing and it's hard oh, to remember. I wrote this post five days ago and go right ahead and criticize my podcast emails. <laughs> it's not like they're good. It's just that they're like, Oh, Oh, right. We need a podcast email. It's, it's really weird to, to think about the fact that I've been doing podcasts for as long as I have, like, I've been podcasting the entire time we've been on this site and before that. That's like, over a decade. Yeah. Over I don't remember. I don't remember when you first started on the Blizzard on the wow insider podcast, but I, it was a, fairly, it's been a while. Early, it was fairly early in its existence. Uh, Cause I was actually on it before the people that I ended up hosting it with. Like I, I ended up being on it with the first people who were on it and then they left and it was me and, and the two others and then they left and then it was me and Ann, and then we came over here and it was me and Ann, and then Ann left and then it was me and Joe. And then we, me and Joe were doing lore watch with Ann, and then it was just me and Joe and lore watch. And yeah, it's, it's been a lot of podcasts and stuff does run together in your head. Like it is, it is very hard to even remember what format we use sometimes. Oh, I still sometimes flow into like, even before I was doing podcasts for like this site, like, I was doing raid warning and then I was doing for the lore, which was uh, existed before lore watch ever did. And like, sometimes I fall into those habits and it's been almost uh, God, I'm going to, uh, it's been almost 20 years. <laughs> yeah. It's been a long time. <laughs> oh boy. But yeah. it's time, point, time is think, wild. If we're, I don't think we're going to do much with the castle uh, cyan gar thing here, because I don't think it's a news story at this point. Uh, I think it's more of like a wow should steal this idea. And so what I'm going to do here is I'll just turn to you guys. Do you guys know the castle Sangar model at this point? I think Liz does. Joe, do you? Uh, I don't really remember. I probably, so probably okay. not. So Liz, should, I'm just going to say to you, I, do you think wow should steal this? Absolutely. And I also want to point out that this is a Diablo immortal mechanic. And I know yep. we kind of all, we all feel pretty squeaky about Diablo immortal, but it has come up with a lot of good gameplay ideas that I just want other Blizzard games to just straight up steal. So you can play them without feeling like, oh God, am I going to get sucked into some kind of real money vortex? Or, There's- you know, constantly, constantly getting a pop-up saying, click here to claim your free daily reward. Yeah. I I, I honestly, I played Diablo Immortal for like a few months and liked it quite a bit. The fact that it took up so much space on my tablet was a problem. And the, the store was just so relentless. Like I never got a break from it. And that's what ultimately turned me away from it. I just simply couldn't, I simply wasn't comfortable playing it, but it's, it was a mechanically fine game. Like there was nothing wrong with it in terms of it as a game, not it as a monetization system where there was lots of wrong with it. Uh, as a game, I, I was having fun playing it. I didn't have any problem doing it. I was doing it entirely, you know, just what you could get playing it. I wasn't spending real money, but even that became like, I felt like any moment that the, the, the cold hand of capitalism could come along and shear <laughs> me like a sheep because they were just so the drumbeat was so relentless. So yeah, I, I ultimately turned away from it, but the castle's anger model uh, really quickly. It's basically like if you took like, like a, a procedurally generated roguelike dungeon and you stuck it into a, a, a character housing thing for for your war band which is essentially like a small guild of eight people it's like if you if your heroic dungeon group 
had a few alternates and formed just that as a small guild. That's, that's what it's like. And they've been ch- making changes to how the warbands work to make them friendlier for smaller pe- groups of people. Like, so you don't have to have all eight members of the warband in a run to get credit for the run for the warband. And you don't have to do the thing where at least one other member of the warband has to log on at three o'clock in the morning with you and just kill monsters to, to tick up a box to get a new warband. So all that's cool. Castle Sangar basically takes the mechanics of it where you have a warband camp and makes it into this cool castle that you conquer. Uh, you go in, you kill the monsters, you take over the place, you assign characters to rooms, and then those rooms give them buffs, which is really cool. And then you basically have waves of invasions that happen there. So you have a group play aspect, a single player aspect, because the roguelike dungeon is absolutely a single player experience. It's kind of like Torghast meets original Diablo. Like if you ever ran the uh, original Tristram Cathedral in, in Diablo, it's like that and Torghast at the same time, where it's all procedurally generated and it's all soloable, or you can have up to like, I think, a group of up to four people can go in. I'm not sure if it's four or eight. I can't remember. But yeah, it's it's interesting. And it's something you could really do in Warcraft. Like you could you could broaden it out because it wouldn't have to be just one castle. It could be all these different places that you could go and clear. Like imagine I if you am... could do that with like, you know, Blackrock Depths. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking here, I remember a time when we were talking about player housing and you basically brought up this exact idea about conquering places in the world mm-hmm. and now they're your place and it's your home. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I like about the Sangar model and I really wish that they would do it in WoW. Although um, I will forever, forever still think that Wildstar had the best player housing ever and Blizzard should steal that if they ever ever feel the need. Although Sangar is definitely from your description, pretty dang good. Yeah, but the thing too is that you could have both because you could have player housing, which is a player's house, and then you'd have this, which is your like your guild group hangout. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's mm-hmm. it's not exactly the same thing. So I, I definitely think there's room for improvement and so forth. But yeah, I think it's really interesting that like your castle has different rooms and each room has like stuff. It has buffs that it can give players and like the guild leader, you know, assigns everyone a room. So everyone gets I just think that's a really interesting like metagame aspect of it. We used to have something other thing similar about in- too. Sorry, go ahead. There's another thing about it in that you can also as you're clearing the uh, the dungeons below, you gain these essences, and the essences change the rooms. So you can add you basically by getting this essence, you can add that into the room, and now the room has the buff that it normally has, plus it has the essence buff. And these buffs work in outside world content. They work in dungeons. They work in in in, in rifts. They they don't just you know hell in hell in the uh, Heliquary raids. They don't just work for doing Castle Sangar stuff. They work everywhere. So it's interesting. Like Liz is absolutely right that they are one of the it's one of the cooler features of the play. Yeah, I really think that's a really co- neat idea. Uh, so yeah, that steal it, go for it, do it, WoW devs. Yeah, I mean we've we've seen Warcraft steal ideas from Diablo before. So Transmog. yeah, let's, let's do this thing. Let's do it. Just steal everything. Uh, <laughs> but at this point, we're going to move on to doing some questions. Uh, as is usual, uh, we're going to do the thing where I tell you that if you have a question for the show, you can send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast or Blizzard Watch, so we know it's for the show. Otherwise, uh, Joe's really gotten good at, at staring contests. Like, I can't beat him anymore. It's true. I've, I've, uh, I've perpetually uh, <laughs> moistened my eyes with uh, eye drops, so Matt can't win anymore. 
I got yeah, tired of losing. It's like he's just been totally destroying me, and I can't get him back to the thumb wrestling where my freakishly huge and strong thumbs have an advantage. <laughs> it's just all staring contests now. So yeah, please let us know what show you want it for, and uh, you can use our Discord. Uh, we've got two channels in Discord. One's for Patreon patrons. Uh, it's called the Patreon Q and Podcast Questions channel, and there's just the Q and Podcast Questions channel for non-patrons because we appreciate you guys too. Uh, it's not a competition. We love you both. Uh, also, you can send us emails at podcast at blizzardwatch.com. So there's lots of ways, you know, you can just, you can find your way to us. But right now, um, this week, I am Vaseline eyes. So I am going to have to actually ask these guys to read things. Uh, I'm going to start with Liz. Okay. Well, this first question is actually three questions in a trench coat, one for each of us. That sounds like uh, Tetsemi. Huh? Yes, that is Tetsemi. Asking question <laughs> for the Blizzard Watch podcast. Matt, what three dinosaurs match up to the tank, healer, and DPS trinity? Uh, some some form of various armored dinosaur. I mean, there's ankylosaurs. There's, you know, the various sterosaurids. There's the various ceratopsians. I'm going to say that I'm going to go with um, ankylosaurus itself. It was the largest of the ankylosaurids. Was the most heavily armored dinosaur to live. Like there was never anything with more armor on it than Ankylosaur. Big tail club for smashing things. Uh, very hazardous, even for things like Tyrannosaurus. Like like T Rex, who would hunt Triceratops, would usually avoid Ankylosaurids. There are not many many Ankylosaurid bodies with with T Rex bite marks on them. So I'm definitely going with Ankylosaurus for the tank. For the healer, I'm going to possibly say. There's a lot of different options here, but I'm going to go with Gaiosaurus. I'm mean, not Gaiosaurus, Myosaurus, sorry. Uh, otherwise known as Mothersaurus, mother, the mother dinosaur. The uh, first dinosaur that we found with eggs that had young in them, the first dinosaur that we could prove actually raised live young, just feels right going with that for the healer. I mean, quite honestly, dinosaurs didn't do a lot of like social stuff. Like They didn't actually sit down and like treat each other's wounds or anything, so I'm kind of going with that. And as for DPS, I mean, any predatory dinosaur i mean there are a lot of them they all ate meat they all killed stuff i uh, which you put in one you like i mean it's, if i'm doing it well one time i remember watching a a uh a paleontologist from the the royal Tyrell, uh, which is a really big very famous dinosaur museum up here he was doing commentary on jurassic park 3 when they had the spinosaurus fight the tyrannosaurus and he said this is, of course, a ridiculous match. It's a juvenile. The fact that they feel the need to pit these dinosaurs against each other, it's, you know, there's much more, many much more interesting things to talk about. And, of course, T-Rex would totally win. <laughs> because it would. The T-Rex's skull is ridiculously overbuilt. It had jaws for days. It was the strongest bite on a terrestrial animal ever. If a, if you put like every time they put they put T Rex up against something in a movie like the Spinosaurus or Giganotosaurus, always like these animals were even bigger. It doesn't matter if they were bigger; they didn't weigh as much. T Rex's bones were heavier. Its jaws were stronger. It was completely loaded with muscle, more muscle. Its neck was like a pit bull neck. It was this big, solid mass of muscle, much more so than Giganotosaurus. And its teeth were designed to crush bone. If you put any of these other dinosaurs up against T-Rex, T-Rex would bite them once and it would be over. So T-Rex, that's the one I'm going to put. You could pick any one you wanted and it would be probably just as good. You want to throw in Dakota Raptor? Sure. You want to throw in 
uh, Allosaurus or Saurophaganax or, you know, I already mentioned Giganotosaurus. They're all fine choices. Acrocanthosaurus, absolutely. But I'm going with T-Rex because I like T-Rex and I'm done. <laughs> okay, the next part of Tetsumi's question is for Joe. Favorite NPC that you run in your Shadowrun campaign? Oh, wow. Um, okay, so they're... Baba Yaga. She's up there. So she's she's not my favorite. Well, she is, but not. It's like choosing my children. Um, so Baba Yaga as, as Mama is always one of my favorites because it's usually a surprise when players get to understand that it is Baba Yaga. Um, just because, like, one, she's my favorite folk uh, folklore character. She's my favorite cryptid, essentially, that has ever existed. Uh, and I love using her every chance I get. And the idea of her being present in a world that's dominated by fantasy crashing into uh, high science fiction uh, and, and sort of like high technology always fascinated me because I always wondered uh, how would these characters of myth and legend sort of uh, like evolve or adapt into a world in which they found themselves now kind of able to walk around without any sort of fear. And I like the fact that literally one of her children is a fixer, uh, which I just have a blast with. But my absolute favorite is uh, E. Eatman. So kind of a sappy and sad thing in here, but it's kind of how I I let a memory of a a dear friend of mine live on. So when I was younger, I played in a Shadowrun game with my friend Eli, who ran just some bonkers games. Eli and Matt would have gotten along famously with some of the weird stuff that Eli used to pull. Um, case in point, when, uh, a little random aside, the party of us were trying to run away in an anime-based game from a bunch of mecha uh, robots that were trying to kill us, essentially. We were trying to steal a a car as a getaway. We opened up a car and there was nothing but a potted house plant sitting on the driver's seat. <laughs> we immediately shut the door, said, hell nah, and went and found something else because that's the type of games that Eli would run. So Eli passed away many, many years ago, uh, suddenly and unexpectedly. But when we were going through his stuff, we realized that he had cataloged every single game session that we had played from 1993 up until the time of his death. So like a decade and some change. Uh, so we, the group of friends that we, cause we all played a bunch of games together, sort of not, I hate to say divvied up his stuff, but his family didn't want him. They were just going to get rid of it. And he didn't have any, any kids. So we each took games that meant the most to us. And shadow run was that game for me because it was this melding, this first experience that I had with like, science fantasy and it was thanks to Eli. Eli had a Netrunner character that he played, E. Eatman, and he would always break it out as sort of like our go-to guy or one of our contacts or whatever, and he, he was just always so animated. It represented like a break from all of his inhibitions because he was a very shy person in real life, and it was through this lens that he could be that character and be like his his ideal version of himself. So now that I've taken over the shadow run game and it is something that I, that, you know, I'm continuing on and incorporated all of his stuff into my world. E. Eatman is my favorite NPC because by keeping that character alive, I keep that memory of my really good friend alive and a world that he helped create. So hands down my favorite NPC. 
Man, how can how can any of us follow <laughs> up with so- how can we follow up on something like that? <laughs> Sorry. Oh. <laughs> um okay, okay. I'm going to try except T- Simi has asked me like a silly question I'm and sorry. a serious question. <laughs> uh the the first question is is Texas just the Barrens pre-cataclysm? And I would actually I actually do have an opinion on this that is not a joke opinion, which is that no, the interesting thing about Texas is that it's such it's so massive that you find a little of every ecosystem here. There is desert, there are flat plains. I am in the Texas Hill Country, Central Texas, which is all rolling hills covered in trees with the Colorado River flowing in the middle. There are mountains if you go out west and it's just there's the Gulf Coast which has beaches. You have, like, anything you want, you will find in Texas. So, I mean, the Barrens is, you know, barren. It's maybe more like the Barrens after Cataclysm, when it gets more variety. You have, you know, kind of your wild, lush spaces, and then you have your desert, uh, stark desert spaces. And I guess you do, you do have some coastal area, but no, Texas is like, it's it's like, Six states in a trench coat. It's just everything all bundled together, and they call it one state. Also, uh, I'm going to throw in here that that's kind of insulting to the barons in terms of how the Khaleesis run. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. Though I don't know that any of the management in World of Warcraft zones is actually very good either, but yeah, we're not... Okay, that's all I gotta say about that. Not going there. <laughs> um, we're talking about video games. Yeah. Um, and the second question, the not joke question is what game other than WoW have you felt best, had the best healer that matched your play style, AKA the Wrath Holy Paladin pre-cataclysm changes? Um, and this one isn't, uh, isn't one that I really have a good answer for. Um, so I'm going to throw it to both of y'all, but I would say, um, I really like the Lord of the Rings Online Bard. Mm. It's been a long time since I've played Lord of the Rings Online. I do not play a lot of MMOs because I just don't have the time or mental energy to like play and learn and level and, you know, play at a decent level. So I really focus on playing WoW and I can do that. Like I have the time and energy to do that and like learn it to where I'm good. And most of like the single player stuff I do is not the sort of stuff that has healing classes. You know, you're playing a single player RPG. Well, okay, you're the person who has to shoot things and hide from things and you you tank and you DPS and you drink potions. And that's kind okay. of the whole I, I brought Win. Why am I healing anything? That's what Win is. Like. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, so so yes, if I had to answer, I'd say Lord of the Rings Online Bard, but Man, it has been a long time since I played Lord of the Rings online. So I'm going to ask you two, since I don't have a good answer. Joe, do you have an answer? Yep, I do, actually. And this is one that I was talking about actually in our guild discord like a month ago. Esper from Wildstar was my favorite healer in an MMO period, hands down. Um, I liked the idea of like combining maneuverability uh, with healing. I enjoyed... Uh, the concept of uh, negotiating like where your AOE is to get the healing done. And like, it just felt like a very dynamic, very exciting healing class. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why I play a lot of shaman for me. There's a lot of stuff I can do besides just healing. 
Um, but like, that's a lot of fun. The one that has come second to that by it's been pretty close is healing as a bard in final fantasy 14, um, which I really, really enjoy. Not only because I'm playing a bard, I'm a giant, strong bunny woman with really great hair and a really cool cloak. Um, but I also learned, and this is a non sequitur, and this is not necessarily why. Well, it is kind of why it's my favorite healing class. Uh, I learned in Final Fantasy 14, if you hook up a MIDI controller to your computer, you can translate uh, MIDI instructions to the actual game itself to play music via the bard commands. So I can literally sit here in real life with my guitar through my MIDI pedal in my computer and play guitar in final fantasy 14 as the bard which instantaneously makes it one of my favorite healer classes <laughs> that's that's amazing <laughs> oh all right matt you're up <laughs> uh i mean if we're talking about mmos uh city of heroes in my opinion had a really good healer mechanic oh yeah in that you could kind of be a healer full stop or you could kind of be a controllers yeah controller or like a kind of a he kind of similar to the idea of a disc priest where you could have a healer who was less about healing and more about preventing damage mm-hmm. or like the pain domination power uh that's the one i really remember uh the uh the, the aliens domination. the the what the light alien had a healing spec too didn't it yeah i think so why can but i not the remember I, the name of the, the one i really remember was the the mastermind uh the masterminds and corruptors had pain domination yeah and it was, it, it's cool because it was basically like, it was basically just heals, but it was based around the idea of instead of actually healing people, you were just preventing them from feeling the pain of it. So you were kind of, kind of a jerk. I mean, cause they're still hurt. You're just making it so they don't know they're hurt. And that's, it's kind of, it's kind of like creepy, but I liked, I liked that mechanic. I thought there were, there were a few others. I think in general, the way city of heroes works with that kind of thing is you have subset powers. So you could be. Like you could be like a fully fleshed out damage dealing type and yet also be a healer. Yeah, you could you could take your primary, secondary, and tertiary powers and revolve them all around healing if you wanted to. Yeah. Or absolutely. you could diversify, yeah. It, nothing has really come close to City of Heroes in that regard. But uh in terms of single player games, um did either of you guys play the original Fable? Yes, actually. Quite a bit. Wow, it's been a very long time. I don't remember anything about it, but I did play it. <laughs> Okay, there's a specific power set in Fable that it, it kind of, it's like a healer spec, but it's basically, you can put up this shield around your character, and as long as the shield is up, you don't take damage. The shield takes the damage. So if something hits you, it just goes to the shield. But the shield is is basically a mana sponge. Like, if it gets hit, it takes damage, your mana drops. When your mana goes to zero, the, the shield mm-hmm. fails. Mm-hmm. So if you happen to have a ton of mana potions, you can literally just chug mana potions and never get hit, which means that your character never gets scars, never takes any of that. Because remember, as they got more older and more powerful, their faces would change. If you got hit a lot, you'd get a lot of scars. But if you had the shield up, you never took, got hit, technically. Things were hitting you, but the shield was just taking it, and you'd just pop a potion because you could pop them whenever you wanted. So instead of using your health potions, you could just use the far more plentiful mana potions and never take damage. I loved it. That was my absolute favorite healing spec ever because it, technically speaking, I didn't heal ever. I didn't use the healing spells and I didn't use the healing potions. I didn't even need to keep healing potions, 
which was again because they were far less common. Like I think it was something like five to one in favor of mono potions. Yeah. And like so that. I just I just cat that one spell. I I got it to max rank and I just used the mono potions to keep it up when I was in combat and just mowed things down with a giant sword and I never even had to block. I never had to learn how to block. I never had to learn anything other than pure offense because my heal was the shield and the shield never went down. So I never took damage. I, I trivialized half of that game because the other thing it had was in the same, in the same school, it had a slow time thing where you could push that and everybody around you it was like the sand of Easton in, in uh, cyberpunk, mm-hmm, everything mm-hmm, around mm-hmm. you would go to like, like one half speed and you just zip around behind them and hit them while they were trying to figure out where you went. And if they did hit you, you didn't take any damage anyway. So the spell didn't get interrupted. I loved it. It was completely ridiculously broken. It was, if this, if this existed in an MMO, it would get nerfed the first day. <laughs> but since it was a single player, you know, I careful use it, you know, clever use of game mechanics. Boom. I like that one. Uh, but the city of heroes one is my MMO example with a honorable mention to star Wars, the old Republic, which also kind of had some cool stuff with Jedi consulars and mm. the Sith, whatever the Sith wizard was. Uh, they had some interesting stuff. And the medic, the medic was a character who would actually shoot you with a chain gun full of healing. Yes. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. That was yeah. fantastic. Yeah. That was fun too. So yeah, but that's it. That's my, those are mine. Joe. I did mine already. Oh, question. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Question yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. Next question. Sorry. Woo. Uh, this one comes from Annabelle. Uh, since this is spooky month, TM, what are your favorite scary games? Do you go in for the gory survival stuff, or are you more than content to play a cozy builder with pumpkins and a black cat companion? Uh, I have a void in real life now, uh, so I can do play spooky games while void is within arm's reach. Uh, I personally am a mix of both. There are some times where I really like some very disturbing and gross games. Uh, there's some where I really like story-driven uh, atmospheric games, and there's some that I just like cozy vibe games. Um, one of my favorite horror games, and I will argue with anybody who tells me it is not a horror game, is System Shock 2. Uh, it is one of my favorites. It is dystopian futuristic, and uh, but still have all the, the horror vibes. I'm super here for it. Um, Alien Isolation is one of my other all-time favorite ones because I like, one, I like the Alien franchise uh, in general. I just think it's a a good franchise. Um, And two, I like the way that the game plays up. The fact that you are isolated on a space station and plays up that atmosphere. Like, There's some jump scares, and it is a very deadly game, but most of the time... It's just the fact that you are scrambling to find a solution that that and pressing that anxiety that that does it. And I like the fact that you can solve all of those problems. And so, like, I definitely dig that. Um, and then one of my other one, my favorite ones, that's very story driven. Uh, that's really good that I know some people play, but I don't know how many people played. And if you haven't played it, you should. Um, there's a game called Oxenfree. And it's a cabin in the woods style horror game where friends go to a remote island for a party. Uh, but once they basically get onto the island, weird, spoopy things start happening and it turns into a supernatural thriller that really switches between uh, a paranormal horror and a relaxing adventure game while still telling a story. Uh, I remember it just being absolutely just blowing my mind when I got to the end of it. 
uh, and the implications therein. So well worth the play if you haven't. What about you, uh, Liz? Um, I'm not really into classic horror games. As I've gotten, weirdly, as I've gotten older, I've become like jump scares and really bloody gory stuff bothers me more. And I don't, Mm -hmm. I can't explain, you know, is that because it's gotten more realistic or is that just because I have more life experience and this is actually terrifying and I don't like it? Um... So I I avoid all of those things, probably more atmospheric stuff. When I think Anna's going to like this answer, because when I think about games that genuinely creep me out and frighten me, probably one of the biggest ones is Subnautica. Oh, yeah. Because, because like I have like this genuine fear of the water, which I can't quite explain. Like I have this anxiety about things hiding under the water when there's water you can't see through and subnautica is like that's that's my kryptonite this like terrifies me playing through this game where you're swimming underwater and sometimes the water is clear and blue and you see the sunshine coming through and sometimes and there's a little fish <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're swimming through dark murky water and something attacks you out of nowhere and you can't see it and you're trying to run away and ah that's that's my feelings about subnautica that's that's the first thing that comes to mind actually <laughs> and anna of course got me started playing subnautica and then it was just freaking me out so i stopped for a while except there's apparently like an upscaled version yeah. for ps5 yeah and now i'm like oh no now it- i have to go back and see how beautiful and terrifying it is and, it, and i highly recommend playing it either with headphones or if you have a sound bar do it oh no oh no did that sounds that sounds even worse um Another game, I've actually been playing through Dishonored again, which I love Dishonored. I love the Dishonored series. And it's not necessarily a scary game, but it has this creepy atmosphere and this inherent horror concept to it where there's this terrible plague ravaging the city that makes people bleed from the eyes. And it's like it doesn't focus on that that's almost like a story far in the background you don't see a lot of it you see a few like zombie type people who are in the last stages of disease but you can avoid them all like that's it has this whole horror concept but it's so far in the background and it's kind of interesting it's it's moody and atmospheric and it has this sort of creepy twisted steampunk world and that's a really fun one i also enjoy like the stealth combat because I find stealth games are kind of have this like stressful tension to them where you're like trying to hide, but someone might see you at any moment. So I I like games like that. I like kind of atmospheric games. Well, that's your turn, Matt. Well, um, my problem here is the same problem I have with, with horror TTRBGs in that I tend to inherently go along with the idea that, that uh, Robert E. Howard had that one person's horror is another person's adv- action adventure. Like there was a round Robin story that infamously both HP Lovecraft and uh, uh, Howard were writers on and Lovecraft wrote the penultimate chapter and Howard got the final chapter in at the end of Howard's chapter, his narrator is transported mentally from his human body through space and time and into the body of a crab monster on some alien world. And he's horrified because now he's a crab monster in some vast 
alien place surrounded by other alien beings that look like crab monsters that he can't communicate with or understand. And that's, that's, you know, Lovecraft presented this as horror, like, you know, an horror of alienation, horror of, you know, your body no longer being what you expected or want it to be so forth and so on. As soon as Howard picked it up, that dude snapped and started murdering the other crab people who were too placid and used to their great society to fight back. And he became king of the crab people. And it's like, you took the horror premise and you just went uh, like, on, suddenly it's Diablo here, buddy. And <laughs> and that's, that's kind of my problem. That being said, there is one game that managed to keep me from getting down that train. It wasn't Diablo. It wasn't Resident Evil. It was Eternal Darkness, Darkness, Sanity's Requiem. Yeah. It is the best that was such horror a game. game in the world. There's never been a better one. There never will be a better one because almost if you look at the Resident Evil games, those games basically either they, they veer too far into action because they give you a lot of guns that you can kill things with, or they veer too far into running away simulator where you can't do anything. Eternal Darkness gives you things you can do. You can fight, you can explore and so forth, but your, your own mind is turning against you in the game and you'd never know what if what you're seeing is real or a hallucination or like an evil monstrous nightmare thing that is making you hallucinate. And it's just, it is, I think it's just one of the best horror games I've ever seen. It's only one of the very few that actually made me scared. Yeah. Um, It also had, it also did a lot of meta stuff too. Like it was one of the first Mm -hmm. games to like really mess with you and try to mess with the technology. I'm really mad that we're never going to like the sequel got canceled shadows of the eternals. Yeah, it did. It didn't make it. Yeah, they, and they then, tried doing a Kickstarter, but that didn't happen. At, well, Nintendo Nintendo still owns the rights to it, which is why um, Night Dive Studio also wanted to remaster it. I'm sorry, this is a little, like a tangent, but I love this game. <laughs> um, but yeah, Night Dive Studio wanted to remaster it, and Nintendo put a, like a huge stop on it. And I'm real mad about that. <laughs> yeah, basically, uh, you know, people have said that Eternal Darkness is similar to Resident Evil, and it is, but in in that's only in concept. Like when you describe it, it is not that different. When you play it, it is vastly wildly different. different yeah, yeah, um, and it is just—it is, in my opinion, one of the best horror games I've ever played. The other one that I would mention that I think it's a pretty solid horror game is actually not like—I don't think, strictly speaking, is intended to be a horror game, but it's the Kirby games. That is, <laughs> yeah, it's nightmare fuel if you think about it too long. Yeah, if you actually sit down and think about the Kirby games, at one point there's one stage in the Kirby games that is clearly set in an Ice Age frozen post-apocalyptic post-nuclear war Earth. Just the whole new game, the game that just came out, is literally nothing but like post-apocalyptic Earth as you're rolling around as Kirby that has transcended time and space. It is bleak. It is bleak and weird. And yeah, Kirby games are, are freaky. And uh, honorable mention to Vampire the Masquerade uh, Bloodlines, the original. Yeah. Uh, the sequel, I have heard nothing about it in two years. So who knows if that's ever going to happen. But the original, I mean, some of the horror comes from the terrible graphics because the game was designed two decades ago and just does not <laughs> look good anymore and has not gotten a remaster and probably never will. But the storyline does a really good job of translating the whole world of darkness idea. And it is actually genuinely, I would say squeaky. I don't actually get scared playing it, but I am grossed out a few times and that's hard for me. I don't get grossed out very easy. So yeah, I, I'd give that an honorable mention, but that's it for me on that one. Yeah. I mean, and this is the time of year too, where uh, one should definitely be looking at uh, 
I mean, if you're into that type of thing, horror games are definitely popping up. Like, uh, just to throw it out there, and I know we mention it occasionally, uh, Game Pass, I think, actually has a bunch of horror games that are releasing this weekend, uh, or at least coming back onto it, or have been re-released onto it for the season. Uh, so it's worth looking into those. Uh, there's some new old style ones that have been releasing, like Infernax, which is adventure horror, but still very much Cronenbergian in its horror. Uh, but like, there's some really good options there. I don't, I don't know. That's one thing I definitely am looking forward to having some more time. Cause I just want to sit down and play some more, more spoopy games. Oh, I have, I have an honorable mention speed dating for ghosts. I <laughs> love that game. I love that game. Have either of y'all played this game? Or are you no, just laughing because just of the laugh- name? No, I've I know seen, of the I've game. Seen stuff from yeah. it. And I, I'm not laughing to mock it. I'm laughing because it's perfect. I <laughs> it, mean, is. it is. It's it's amusing. Okay. It's not like a it's not a game that scares me, but it's a it's, it's a cool game. It's funny. It's cute. I mean, it's not a scary game, but it it's one of those games. It can be like genuinely heartwarming and sweet, and it can be really sad, and it has some creepy stuff to it too. It's not going to scare I, you. It did make me cry. I feel that way about like, Monster Prom <laughs> and Monster Prom 2, like straight up. Uh, Speed Dating for Ghosts is one of those games I would recommend for both Halloween and Valentine's Day. And everyone yeah. should go play it. Everyone yeah. should play it. It's fantastic. I- I'm yeah. down with that. <laughs> uh, also, if you want to play, if, you, if you're looking for a TTRPG, Monster Hearts and Monster Hearts 2 are both really cool. As is yes. um, Monster of the Week. Which these are all kind of uh, powered by the apocalypse games. Well, Monster of the Week is, yeah, yeah, for sure. But there's also I Hunt, which is basically would you like to to do a Buffy the Vampire Slayer style game, but you're in the gig economy, so you basically have an app. And (laughs) yeah, it's it's just as horrifying as you think, but not for the reasons you might think. Uh, I think we're going to move on though and be done, unfortunately, because I wanted to get Joe to get to read this last one, but he can push that to, to the next lore watch if he wants to. Well, I mean, no, we got, you're talking about the, the one from Corey, the one from KTS. No, no. Um, we got one from corn. Remember corn, your friend corn. Oh no, I, I don't see it in here. It's there's, it's further down. I've, I had to follow up cause it came just as I sent this. So oh, okay. Yeah. We'll do that next time. Yeah. Or we'll do it on lore. Watch one or the other. I mean, if you guys want to do the Corey one, it's pretty fast for me. So yeah, Corey, I was just going to throw it out there. Corey wanted to know what we're dressing up for, for Halloween. If we have, if we've chosen a costume, my four-year-old niece chose my costume. I'm <laughs> I'm going as Jean Belcher from Bob's Burgers because she wants to be Luis. <laughs> what about you guys? Liz? Uh, I'm not dressing up. I mean, may, I should probably think about my Halloween transmog, but I haven't figured that out yet either. I haven't dressed up for Halloween in about 37 years, so... I will be playing the role of guy hiding in his office while his wife and mother-in-law and dog give treats out to people because I am terrified of people and don't want to be around them. So in a way, it's very appropriate for Halloween because I, I, you guys are the zombies and I'm scared of you. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, I guess that does it. There's one more question, but I think we will possibly deal with that later or not at all because we're com- pretty much out of time here by about 10 minutes. Um Joe's got a thing to say, and then I have a thing to say, and then we're all going to go. So, oh, Joe. all right. Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast sighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue 
and an ads-free site experience. Thank you, Joe. Uh, and thank you also, Liz, for being here and for giving me that speed dating for ghost game. I'd forgotten <laughs> exists. And now I'm looking at it going, yeah, that's that thing. No, that thing's legit. I'm not kidding. Uh, it's, it's so good. So good. But uh, if you guys have a question for the show, remember you can send it to podcast at lidwatch.com or you can go to our discord and go to the patron Q and podcast questions channel. If you're a patron, which you should be, cause it's totally awesome. We're rad. You'll be rad. Just come be rad. Uh, but if you can't, we understand. And we also have the Q and podcast questions channel for non-patrons because you guys count too. And we love you very, very much. Um, this has been the Blizzard Watch podcast. Thank you to Joe and Liz and all of you for being here. And we'll see you next week. Hopefully on Tuesday. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.